0: We're going to be uh, studying out of Matthew chapter 22, and uh, the passage that Lee read. And we are also going to be looking in Revelation uh, chapter 19. So if you wanted to prepare yourself, although that's a pretty easy passage to find, uh, you can do that. But we're going to be looking at at, uh, Matthew 22. So if you'd like to turn back to there. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you and we glorify you and we come to you, very needy people. We very much need you to, to speak to us through your word and to sort of realign us and correct us and encourage us and guide us. Especially given the fact that we live in such a difficult time and such a, in many ways, discouraging time, dismaying time. Father, we need to be people of your kingdom and people who have a proper perspective and people who rise above these things and be more than conquerors. People of joy, people of hope, people of courage. And so, Father, we pray that you will help us as we listen to a parable that our master told us. And we pray that you will help us to grow from it and that you will give us wisdom and insight. And you will, we will see this as alive and real today as it was when it was first spoken. Give us grace now, we pray. Come to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> There are events in life that are absolutely pure joy. They're just, they just bring us joy, and they're just delightful. The birth of a child. The birth of a child is just pure joy. We, we delight in it. Even if the, the child is born in difficult circumstances, it's just a joy, and people get happy. Graduation, um, that's a time of great joy. Uh, certainly, baptisms are a time of great joy. And then, of course, there's weddings. Weddings are times of just wonderful, great joy. Uh, Everybody gets excited as the wedding is coming. Uh, People get some good clothes, some nice clothes to wear to that wedding. Uh, There's usually really good food. There's tables full of cookies. There's a cake and there's uh, wonderful entrees and that. And the other thing that's fun about weddings is weddings are just fun to be with people. It's just fun to, to see people that you haven't seen for a while, to reconnect with family because they come in for the wedding and catch up with them. There's friends uh, that are there and, and you meet with them. Maybe you haven't seen them for years and, and it's just nice to see them there at the wedding and, hey, let's sit down, let's talk. And then there's new people. There's people that you've never met. You get you get one of them round tables and you find your number and that's where you sit. And here's all these people that you don't even know and you get to know them and And it's fun. There's dancing at weddings. There's touching and moving toasts. Sometimes there's tears. There's certainly laughter. There's different traditions. Weddings are great. Weddings are just fun. And you know what's amazing? The Bible teaches that this world will end and the new heavens and new earth will begin. And that amazing transition, amongst other things is going to be one huge wedding reception, one super fun, amazingly glorious wedding reception. And that's what the parable is going to do today. Uh, What Jesus is going to do is he's going to teach us a parable here. And this parable has sort of, it has a main purpose. And then, But but it has very real implications for us. And so we're going to look at the main purpose, because it's going to give us, once again, the sweep of redemptive history, and that it's going to prepare uh, the even the early apostles for what's going to happen, and that it's going to teach us a lot of stuff, but it's also going to, in a masterful way, have something to say to each individual that's here in this room today, and that's how... It, amazing Jesus is. We can look at this parable, really, this parable breaks down into three very dis- sort of distinct parts, and they could be entitled, number one, The Invitation Rejected, number two, The Invitation Expanded, and then number three, The Intruder Ejected. The Invitation Rejected, The Invitation Expanded, and then The Intruder ejected so let's look at this parable and then we'll, we'll 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 see how this applies to ourselves now this parable is given in the context of uh, three parables, actually, and uh, we've already looked at two of them. One is the short one about the two sons, and one says, "Yeah, Dad, I'll go," and doesn't go, and the other one says, "Dad, I don't want to go," but does go. And then there's the extended parable of the vine, uh, the vineyard, the vine dressers, and the farmers that didn't pay, and then the judgment, and 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 even them killing the son. This parable, and and all of these parables have the uh, the question of. Why are you doing these things? What is your authority? And the rejection of the Jewish leaders of Jesus himself, and therefore, as we saw last week, the transference of the kingdom from Israel to an expanded kingdom that is very Jewish, that certainly includes the Jewish people, but then expands dramatically to the Gentile world. And that's going to come out in this, in this parable as well. So let's begin by looking at this parable. Uh, number one, the invitation rejected, the invitation rejected. It says this in verse one, and Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables and said, the kingdom of heaven, now again, this is a parable about the kingdom. He's teaching on the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Okay so they're called. Now I want to give some of you uh, you'll notice at the very end of this paragraph uh, this parable there's a, a sort of defining phrase for many are called but few are chosen. This parable is about the called. It's about the calling and the called. And unfortunately in English there's English Bible translations. Unfortunately we 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 just lose a little bit of the of the theme going down through there because the word that is primarily uh, stands for called here, is actually translated invited, okay? So, for instance, but it's in, in the original language, it's the exact same word that's being used, whether it's a verb to call or it's a person, the called ones, as it were. So, uh, for instance, verse three, uh, it says, call those who were, and in the, origi- in, in the original language, it would read more something like this, the, the called, Call the called, okay? So every time you see the word invited, think of that. Uh, Look at verse 8. The wedding is ready for those who were called. That's how the original language speaks. Verse 9, you will find call to the wedding. And so that's why, so just remember when you see invite, that's what that means. So what happened is, is that the king invites people to the wedding. Now, he already sent out a save the date card, by the way. He already sent out a save the date card. You know what that is. That's where you're going to have a wedding and you want people to come. So you you sort of invite them by saying, hey, save the date. Uh, You know, October something. We're going to get married. Save the date. Because notice it says this he sent out the servants he so he arranges a a wedding his son is going to get married he sends out the servants in verse three to call those who were invited that's that's a past tense they were invited to the wedding but they were not willing to come so these people were already invited now they're being invited a second time hey the wedding's ready come but they said no we don't want to come we don't want to come they weren't willing to come we just simply don't want to come to this wedding Verse 4, again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who were invited or the called, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. This is actually the third invitation. Listen. Listen. the the, the spits are turning and you can smell the beef and it's dripping and we've got all the food ready and the cookies are on the table and the punch is already there and we're ready to eat everything is ready come so he gave them a save the date then he sent them and they said no we're not going to call then he sends out other servants and says come 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 to my wedding it's all ready everything is prepared all you have to do is walk in just walk in and we're going to have a great celebration and they don't. Look at verse 5. They make light of it. They treat it as nothing. An invitation from the king, they treat it as nothing. And they went their ways. They, one to his own business, uh, farm, another to his own business. They just went about their, no, I'd rather just put on my farm clothes and go out and milk cows rather than come to your wedding. No, I'd rather go to the shop and buy and sell rather than come to this wedding. So they were just indifferent. Now, others, though, were hostile. Look at verse 6. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully. That means to arrogantly abuse them. They arrogantly abused them. Get out of here. Who wants you? Get out of here. Take that stupid invitation. And then some killed them. Actually killed the servants. And then... And and, in verse 7 says this. Now, for us reading, listening to this, and maybe you've been married, you've been invited to weddings, you're used to weddings. Us, we look at this kind of thing and we say, whoa, this thing turns, this thing turns really serious fast because notice what the king does. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. If a king ever invites you to a wedding, go, man. I'm telling you, go. And see, here's the thing that you get from this. This is, in fact, we're not used to this because we don't live with royalty, but this, in fact, would make sense to people back then because how offensive it was that the king's son was getting married, you were invited to a royal wedding, you didn't go to that royal wedding, and then you abuse the people who are inviting you, and you kill them. The king then goes, and he destroys the city. Now, what is Jesus getting at? Well, what Jesus is doing here, once again, is he is pointing out, as it were, God's redemptive plan, how redemption is going to work out. And what he's pointing out here is, first of all, the violence that the people had toward the servants of the king once again symbolized the violence that came against God's prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles and the believers in the New Testament, how they're going to be treated violently. And, and so he's, he's referring to that. He's already referred to that in the parable of the vineyard and the sower. But he's also referring to the fact that this is the time of transformation of the kingdom. It's the time where the kingdom is being transferred. And part of that is because of the impending destruction of Jerusalem. Look at chapter 24 and verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. The Roman army is going to come in, within 40 years of this time that Jesus is speaking this parable, and they are going to destroy Jerusalem. They are going to destroy the temple. They are going to destroy Israel as a nation having its own national identity and that will be be like that israel will no longer function as a nation for over 2000 years until 19 19- 48 when the UN gave Israel once again a portion of land back. And so Jesus is telling them this parable and it's the exact same thing that he said in verse 43 when he said therefore I say to you the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. This is the exact same theme. This is linked into that parable and basically it's saying this. The gospel came to you. You rejected it. God brought judgment and that judgment is going to be severe. So that's in invitation rejected. But then we have the invitation expanded. Look at verse 8. Then he said to his disciples, the invitation is ready, but those who were invited, called, were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite, call to the wedding. So go out into the highways. The city's been destroyed, by the." The city's been burned up. Those people have been killed. Go out into the highways and byways. Go to the bushes. Go where the, all the cross where the roads are crossing. Go into the into the farms. Go into the into the small uh, places. Go up in the mountains. Go out in the country. Go find people. Find people, rich and poor. Find people, all kinds of people, and invite them in. Just openly invite everybody to the royal wedding. Everybody to come to the castle. Everybody to celebrate. And so there's this expansion, and you notice how this thing expands. Like the verse, again, it says, verse 9, go into the highways and as many as you find invite to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So here we have this invitation is expanded. Go into all of these places, invite everybody. Just invite, and you can even invite good and bad people. Invite respectable citizens and invite their lowlifes what is that what is that that's Jesus once again reiterating what he said in the in the, in the earlier chapter chapter 21 verse 32 I'm sorry verse 31 he, remember the first parable about the two sons? And then he said to the first, Assuredly I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward believe him. And so when, here he's telling this parable of the good and bad. Bring, bring the good and bad. Bring everybody in. Bring the tax collectors. Bring the harlots. Invite harlots. Invite tax collectors. Invite everybody you see out in the highways and byways. Invite them to come in and to come into my my banquet hall. I want them here. And they do. They invite them in. And the banquet hall is filled. They fill it. Look at the end of verse 10. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now what is Jesus getting at with this parable? What is he looking at ahead that this parable is to be instructive of? And obviously what he's talking about here is the fact that the kingdom of God is going to expand after his resurrection and after the sending of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is going to expand. It's going to expand. And this is pretty much the story of the book of Acts. Is the Kingdom of God expands to the Samaritans. And the Samaritans are included in although they're the ethnic enemies of these Jewish believers who were the first believers. But then it expands to the Gentiles, and Peter himself is kind of dragged, kicking and screaming into Cornelius' house to preach the gospel to a Gentile. At one point, God sends down some food and says, eat, and Peter gets more holy than God and says, no, 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 God, no, no, I ain't doing that, I, no, no, you, know, you can't tempt me to do that. And God says, hey, what I declare clean is clean, you get to these Gentiles and you you preach. And then they even had to have a whole church council trying to figure out what to do with these Gentiles. This amazingly expanded kingdom is what Jesus is talking about here. Go into the highways and byways. And then finally you have the intruder ejected. The intruder ejected. Look at verse 11. But when the king came into the, to the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now it's interesting that word friend is interesting because it doesn't mean my dear good friend, heart of my heart, it doesn't mean that. In fact, this word is only used three times. And it's all in the three times are in the book of Matthew. And it actually refers to an imposter who's passing, who's trying to pose to be a comrade for selfish reasons. That's the definition of this word. It's only, it's a very narrow word. It's used once in Matthew 20 when the angry workers who got paid one denarius were mad for the one-hour workers. And the, and, the, and the man said, friend, I, I, it's my money to do with what I want. I'll do with what I want. It's used here. And then interestingly enough, it's used one more time in Matthew 26.50 when Judas comes and Jesus says, friend, you're going to kiss me? Seriously? And so I think the way this is to be translated is kind of how we would use the word pal. Hey, pal. I was going to park there. Hey, pal. That's my wife. (laughs) Okay. I think that's how this word is being used. Hey, pal. How'd you get in here without the wedding garment? Who brought you in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And so then what happened is The king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, you notice here something much more significant than weddings are going on here at this point. He's describing hell, as it were, there. And so this man gets kicked out of the wedding. Now, you say, well, who would do that? Well, let me tell you something. It happened in my wedding. This scene happened in my wedding. Didn't it, Jan? This scene happened in our wedding. See, what in the world? How are you talking about? Well, I'll tell you how. Jan and I were married down in Pittsburgh. We were working at that time in an inner city church, an African American church. And our pastor and mentor and and beloved friend uh, was a six foot five African American pastor who was an intimidating figure and a gentle but a gentle and loving man. But in 1979. In African-American church culture, which we were in, weddings were very, very special. And they were treated as very, very special. And you dressed well if you wanted to be in a, come to a wedding. So I was in the office with Elward, that was our pastor, Elward, and with my best man and the other men in my church. I was in my office, the office of the church there, uh, getting ready to, to, to go out for the wedding. And my brother walked in, and my brother was on the bulletin to read scripture. My older brother, he was on the bulletin to read scripture. And my, no, 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 catch this, no, try to, try to get this, the whole context. This is 1979, okay? We're still in the 70s, okay? We're still hippies. We're still doing that whole thing. My brother walked in in bib overalls and a t-shirt, Okay? So he walked in in bib overalls and a t-shirt, and, that, and he probably, being the old hippie that he was, he didn't think that was bad, and he was making a statement anyway, and that's what we did back then and all this like that. So he walked in, and I said, hey, Kevin, how you doing? And he walked in, and, and the Reverend, Elward Ellis, in his black robe, looked at him and said, no, no, get out, you're not in this wedding. He didn't even consult me, <laughs> but by, but you know what, if he would have turned to me, I'd have said, Elward, whatever you want, man, you're the man, because <laughs> he was my mentor, my pastor. He was like a father figure, and he said, "Now I'm going to give my brother credit. I want to give my brother credit. The truth of the matter is that our our reception was actually a jeans and t-shirt square dance in a state park. It really was, so I want to give him a little bit of credit, but nevertheless. As soon as Elward saw him, he said, that dress is not appropriate, and he felt that it was dishonoring to me and to Jan, and he kicked him right out of the wedding. And we just had to find somebody else who was more properly attired, and it was actually Jan's former pastor uh, uh, when she got saved, uh, who who came up and and read the scripture. And that's what's going on here. The king, look at what it says. The king came in to see the guests. And the word means to actually examine the guests, to, to, to look them over. And he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? In other words, why don't you have a wedding garment? Now, there's a lot of questions as to how that works out. There's even some historical evidence in the Bible and historical that uh, kings and princes, when they had these big weddings, they actually handed out garments to people who didn't have them. But either way, this guy came in, and he was not properly attired. And by not by being properly attired, he was dishonoring the king, and he was sort of coming in on his own terms. He was, almost, he was almost arrogantly sitting there as if he belonged there, but he was t- completely he had not taken the time to properly attire himself and so he was inappropriately dressed, he was arrogantly sitting there and so the king kicks him out into outer darkness. Now now there's all kinds of questions as to what this this garment was supposed to be. And, and and now as, as interpreters look at it, they see this. Well, it's the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we have in our justification. And certainly that's true. That is absolutely part of what is being said here is that those we get into the kingdom through the righteousness of Jesus and through his perfect righteousness on us. But also, there's another aspect that, that in salvation, holiness, holiness is to be, is we, we're born again, we're, we're new creatures, and holiness is to work through us. And that's why, for instance, Paul says in Romans thirteen fourteen. 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And so there you see this idea that, that, that putting on Christ is, is, is putting on the whole Christ and, and being robed and clothed in his righteousness and being a holy person. And, and this, man, this man did not have that. And we're going to deal with this a little bit later. And so then Jesus concludes this parable by saying this. For many are called... And many were called in this parable. The entire city was called. All of the all everybody was called. The people who who, who rejected, they were all called. The high, everybody in the highways. Many are called, many are called, many are called. But few are chosen. Now, now some some wrestle with this, and, and I think that, that that rightly so. That sometimes this can give the false a false impression that uh, that there's going to be very 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 few people saved. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. It says there's a vast number that that no one can count at the end of the Book of Revelation. And so Hebrews may have may have heard this uh, something more similar to this. Scholars tell us uh, many many or all were called, as it were but less than that are chosen. And that may very well be all are called, but less than that come in or all are called, but not all will come in. In other words, there's, there is this sifting thing that's going on. So how do we, how do we apply this to ourselves? How do we apply this? Well, let me, let me take a couple lines of application for this. And the first one is this, and, and, and I introduced this earlier. This age ends with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, judgment day, the separation of the sheep and goats. We're going to get into all that in Matthew 25. This age ends, this world as it were ends, and the new heavens and the new earth begins with amazing and amazing wedding celebrations. And that's why we're going to see more wedding parables coming up as well. But turn with me to to the book of Revelation in verse 19. And look at how this is described in the book of Revelation. And this will actually help us to put together some of the pieces as well. Revelation chapter 19, verses 5 to 9. Look at this. Uh, By the way, in the context of the book of Revelation, and Lord willing, we're going to be studying the book of Revelation soon here as a church. But in the context, in in Revelation chapter 18, this, this wicked city that represents the the secular world, this the, the rebellion against God. This wicked city, Babylon, is burnt to the ground and is dying and, and is being judged. And all of the people of Babylon are weeping and they're so sad because they're losing their money and they're losing their houses and they're losing anything that they ever resonated with. And they're losing all of the seductress things of it. And, and this wicked Babylon is, is going and they're weeping. But then in chapter 19, the saints start rejoicing that Babylon is gone. They're, they're praising God, verse 19 to get verse one, this, this great hallelujah goes up. And, and, and they're so thankful that God is judging Babylon. And then it says this in verse five, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters. Think of flood waters or, or the Niagara Falls. And there's the sound of many thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. Here are the robes. And that the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints." And then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are true sayings of God. So here's the actual working out of it. It's the marriage supper between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. And it's a wedding celebration. It's an absolutely glorious wedding celebration that ends the, 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 the world. Now look at chapter 21 and verse 3. John then gets this other vision, and he sees a new heavens and a new earth. And then it says this. You remember Babylon, that city is destroyed. Well, here we have another city. And so here the the visions that John sees, and we'll get into this when we get into the interpretation of the book of Revelation. He sees this bride that's 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 a bride. And a city, and so and 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 it's all it's it's all kind of comes together, and that's what you see here. For instance, verse two. Then I J- John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And this is the Jerusalem that that, that Paul identifies as the church, the New Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem above is our mother, Paul says in the book of Galatians. And then you drop down to uh, a little bit further down to verse. Nine. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and call, talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the, wife, the lamb's wife. So you see, here's a bride. Here's a la- the lamb's wife. It's also a city. And he carried me away to the Spirit into a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And so you see this, this glorious city coming down. And so you see, and what is that? It's the church. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the church of Old and New Testament saints. It's, the, it's, it's those people who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we get this in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now notice verse 26 in light of what we've seen. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now look at the next one. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. This absolutely beautiful, holy, in the beauty of holiness, this beautiful, beautiful bride comes down, these holy people. In Matthew in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, Paul goes on to write this. For we are the members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so here we have this wedding of Jesus and his bride, Jesus and the church. The new heavens and the new earth begins with this wedding and this wedding ceremony, and this and this celebration, and this feasting, and eating. Think about that for a minute. Think about this for a minute. Think about this scene for a minute. The Bible teaches that these people have been raised again from the dead, and they have glorified bodies that look like, Paul says in Philippians 3, they look like they are equal to, as it were, in that sense, the glory of, of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That we will have glorious bl- bodies like his glorious body. These people will be glorious. They will be amazing. as where C.S. Lewis says, if you could see one of them now, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship it. They will actually look like, they will glow like, we will glow like the sons and daughters of the king. And we will be there. And it will be a wedding. And it will be, it will be a, a reception. It might go on for 10,000 years. I don't know. And we will laugh. And we will celebrate. And we will reconnect. And we will rejoice. And we will be saved. And we will be perfectly holy. And we will be, and he will be there in our midst. And I was thinking about this. I was meditating on this. And I thought, what an amazing thing that would be, that will be. And I envisioned myself sitting there like I do at weddings when Jen doesn't make me dance. Um, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, this glorious being comes walking up to me, this absolutely glorious being. I don't want to use the word goddess because I don't want that to, you to be mistaken. And yet, she, she is a daughter, a glorified daughter of the living God, and this absolutely glorious, majestic, dignified, holy being walks up to me and says, hello, and I say, who are you? you who are you? You're just, you're, it's just the beauty of holiness. You're stunningly beautiful, and she says a name. Now, for me, I have to be careful here, okay? So I'm gonna give you three names. She might say, I'm Hazel Buchanan. She might say, I'm Myla Johnson. She might say, I'm Iva Miller. So we're all fair here now. But either way, she says to me, and I look at her and I say, Oh my, you're my granddaughter. Praise God. Sit down here. Tell me your story. From the moment I died and you hardly even remembered me or whatever, tell me your story. Tell me. And you know what her story is going to be? Her story is going to be the same as my story. It's going to be a story of grace. It's going to be a story of mercy. It's going to be a story of Jesus. It's going to be a story of forgiven sin. It's going to be that story. And then she might go and say, wait, wait, Grandpa, I want you to wait here for a second. And she brings some other glorious beings. And here this men come in, these women come in, glorious sons and daughters of the living God. And she said, these are my children, your great-grandchildren. I said, oh, my, sit down. We have eternity. Tell me your story. And the story will be the same glorious story. I was a sinner saved by grace. I'm here because of him right there, the Savior, the Lamb. I'm here because of him. And I'll grab my parents. I'll grab, hey, I want you to meet somebody. You see, dear ones, this world ends great. It ends with a wedding celebration. And then I want to ask you this question. Will you be there? Will you be there? Every individual in this room should ask themselves this question. Will I be there? Or will I be cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? guess what? If you are not there, it is not for lack of an invitation. I'll put it in a positive way. Everybody in the world is invited to come to this wedding banquet. Matthew 28 says this. Jesus came. This is the end of the book of Matthew, the very last verses of the book of Matthew. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all 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 the nations go out into the whole world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo I am with you always even to the end of the age amen listen to how mark summarizes what jesus said in mark 16:11 and he said to them go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into the highways and byways. Go into every nation, every culture, every village, every jungle, every, every island. Go, go, go and invite them, invite them, invite them. Tell, preach the good news to them. We've already seen a hint of this in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look at Matthew chapter 22. If your Bible's still open to Matthew, look at verse 17. As the, the entire Bible is ending, it says this And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. And whoever thirsts, let him take the water of life freely. Come, come. The king keeps inviting and inviting and inviting and inviting. I mean, listen as I read to you a quote from J.C. Ryle. And by the way, for those of you who love and embrace Reformed theology as we do here, I want, care- I want you to understand here, this is a dyed-in-the-wool, strong Reformed theologian speaking. Because I want us to never be imbalanced into hyper-Calvinism. Listen to what he says about this verse. There is nothing wanting on God's part for the salvation of sinners' souls. No one will ever be able to say at the last that it was God's fault that he is not saved. The Father is ready to love and receive. The Son is ready to pardon and cleanse guilt away. The Spirit is ready to sanctify and renew. Angels are ready to rejoice over the returning sinner. Grace is ready to assist him. The Bible is ready to instruct him. Heaven is ready to be his everlasting home. One thing only is needful, and that is the sinner must be ready and willing himself. Let this also never be forgotten. Let us not quibble and split hairs over this point. God will be found clear of the blood of all souls. The gospel always speaks of sinners as responsible and accountable beings. The gospel places an open door before all mankind. No one is excluded from the range of its offers. Though efficient only to believers, those offers are sufficient for all the world, though few enter the straight straight gate. All were invited to come in. Dear ones, if you don't go to heaven, if you don't get into this kingdom, if you don't end up there, it's not because of lack of of invitation. Everybody is invited. Come, come. Over and over, God invites. Over and over, God invites. Are you indifferent? Maybe you're not going to go in because you're indifferent. You see, you have to be prepared. You have to be prepared to go. You have to put on on the robes. You have to put on the clothes. What does that mean? That means you have to turn from your sin and and you have to turn to Christ. What do you do before you go to a wedding? Well, hopefully what you do is you take a shower. You get cleaned up. And dear friends, we need to get cleaned up in order to get into this banquet hall. And we get cleaned up by the blood of Jesus Christ washing us and cleansing us from all of our sin. We take our our sin to Jesus and it's washed through his blood. Every sin is washed through his blood. Every sin is washed away no matter how horrible, no matter how long-term, no matter how much that sin is. There is no sin that cannot be washed away by the blood of Jesus. There's no stain that is so deep, but the blood of Jesus cannot wash it clean and make it white as snow. And then clothed in his righteousness, we go into the kingdom. And not only that, but the transformation has to be real. A real saving faith the beauty of holiness, so that we are adorned with the good works which are the righteous act of the saints, the Bible says. Are you clothed? We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. Or by grace have you been washed and cleansed and clothed and ready to come in? Well, maybe you're indifferent. Maybe there are some of you here today who are indifferent. Ah, oh, this stuff bores me. Oh, I'm too busy for this stuff. Oh, man, I got school to think about. I can't think about this. Oh, I'm trying to work two jobs. I'm trying to get my bills paid. I don't have time to think about this. Hey, man, I got my friends, my friend group, man. That's what really counts for me. I don't want this. Eh, We get together a lot. We have a good time. I don't even have time to think about this. I have no time to take up this invitation. Jesus is warning us about that here. Or maybe you are hostile. I'm not hostile. Maybe you are. Maybe you are, and you don't know it. Maybe you're one of these people that says, I don't want to talk about God. You know, I, I don't want to talk about God. I, 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 I don't want God intruding in my life. I don't want God in my life. Why don't we pray together? I don't want to pray. Prayer's boring. I don't want to talk to God. Why don't we worship and glorify God? I don't want to glorify God. I don't want to worship God. i got better things to do. Why are you hostile? You say, I'm I'm not hostile. Yes, you are. I don't want to talk about God. I don't want God in my life. I don't want to talk to God. I don't want to worship God. I don't even want to think about God. If somebody treated you like that, you'd say, why do you hate me? Why? Why are you so hostile to God? Why are you treating God like this? He created this amazing world. He's a good God. He gave you life. He gave you the miracle of birth. He protected you while you were in your mother's womb. He he oversaw a a safe and healthy birth for you. And, And ever since that time, he's been feeding you and clothing you and protecting you and blessing you and giving you health and protection and provision and joy. And he's been patient with you. And he keeps doing you good, even though you don't want him. You don't want him in your life. You want to talk, but he keeps doing you good. He keeps doing good. Then he sends his son to die for sinners like you, and he offers you complete salvation. And what do you do? You take the invitation from God and you rip it up. Why? Why are you so hostile to God? And I'll tell you why. Because you're sick. You're sick. With a very evil sickness. And I know that well because I was cured of this sickness. And I still have remaining tumors in me of this sickness. And this sickness is called sin. And sin has twisted you. And sin has has turned you. And sin has gotten you to the point that you would rather go to hell than accept this invitation. Is there anybody like that here today? Here's the amazing thing. God is still inviting him. Today's the day of salvation. God is saying, why would you perish? No, come. Come. Come to me. Come and believe. Come and find eternal life. Come and be saved. Come. I'll forgive you of all of it. I know you've hated me. I know you've held me off. I'll forgive you. of all. I know you've done really bad things. I'll wash it all clean by the blood of my son. Come. Come to the wedding. Come to the wedding. Don't rip up your invitation. Don't rip up your invitation. And before you rip up that invitation, whoever's here and you're resisting the gospel, the unconverted people are resisting gospel, before you rip up this invitation, let me just say one more thing to you. There's evidence in the scripture that if you rip up this invitation... And you ultimately perish. There's evidence in the scripture that from the outer darkness, you will be able to see the celebration. And I think, I don't know, I don't know a lot about how bad hell will be, but I can't imagine anything being worse than saying, I could have been there. I see some of my family members there. But I am out here, and I held the invitation in my hand and ripped it up. I was indifferent. I was too busy. I didn't want God. I wanted my way. Oh, dear ones, please, come. Forsake the world. Forsake your sin. Come to Jesus. Come to eternal life come and be saved you're invited you're welcomed the angels are ready to rejoice heaven is ready to accept you god has his arms out the Savior's ready to wash you come just come don't let satan lie to you come and you'll never ever regret it my final word is this dear ones who are christians and you're on your way do you have loved ones that don't aren't coming I wanna urge you, get bold and invite them, invite them. Let's be good servants, inviting. Even if they treat us spitefully, even if they kill us, let's invite them. Oh, come Lord Jesus, let's pray. Father, you are so good that you would come to this little church and this small group of people in backwater, western Pennsylvania. And you would come and you would invite us to be your children. You would come once again and invite us to this wedding feast. You would come to just to invite us to come to you and have poured out upon us all of the richest, amazing blessings that you have to offer. Oh, Father, I pray this morning if there are any here who are not saved, who do not have new hearts, who have been putting you off. And who feel like this message was preached right to them. I didn't intend that, but, but you did. Father, I pray that you would open their hearts. I pray that you would help them. I pray that you would give them grace. I pray that you would save them. I pray that they would come running into the banquet by running to your son now. And Father, for those of us who are believers, I pray that you will help us. To truly, this week, believe that Jesus tells the truth. And to truly believe, no matter how ugly the news will get, to truly believe and to begin to feel the joy of the coming king and the coming party that we will participate in. Oh, dear Lord, help us, we pray. Help us to be saints who have faith, who see the invisible, who see what is coming, who live by faith. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.